This episode is sponsored by Code Health. Code connects healthcare providers to the largest community of medical coding professionals in the country with over 4,600 domestic certified coders. As a single stop for all coding needs, Code's on-demand model has solved for daily staffing challenges and coding inefficiencies by allowing providers to access the right coder at the right time while gaining insights to better manage their coding operations. To learn more about Code, visit CodeHealth.com, that's K-O-D-E Health.com, or email Code directly at partnerships at CodeHealth.com. Hello, and welcome to Voices in Healthcare Finance. I'm Erica Grotto. Today, we're talking about innovation and the courage to move forward. We'll have my interview with Marcus Whitney of Health Further about the first steps to true innovation and a sponsored segment in which HFMA's 2019-2020 chair, Mike Allen, interviews G. Shaw of Change Healthcare. Later, our sponsor, Care Credit, provides five ways healthcare organizations can measure the patient financial experience. But first, let's hear from Rich and Chad in our Beyond the News segment. This is Rich Daly, Senior Writer and Editor for HFMA. Hi, this is Chad Mulvaney, a Policy Director with HFMA. Thanks for joining us on the Beyond the News segment of the podcast, where we take a quick peek at the significance of recent healthcare finance news developments. Among recent developments was a JAMA study on how often hospitals and physician groups are screening patients for the social determinants of health, which, of course, are the factors that impact health outcomes and not traditionally addressed by the healthcare system. Among the providers examined, the study concluded that 24% of hospitals and 16% of physician practices are screening for five specific needs. And those facilities that are doing better at this tend to be federally qualified health centers, those in bundled or primary care models, and academic medical centers, or those that serve more economically disadvantaged patient populations. So, Chet, tell us what uh, you see as significant there. You know, I I guess at the end of the day, when I read the article, it didn't really surprise me all that much because if you think about those buckets of organizations that you just called out, you know, academic medical centers typically care for disadvantaged populations. They also have resources and, you know, public health schools that typically have some of those resources available so they can, you know, start to address some of those needs. If you're in an at-risk model like bundle payment or if you're in a primary care model, um, you know, for the primary care models, not only is doing this sort of part of the contract with CMS, but like bundle payments, it's in your best interest to address these issues because it helps you lower the total cost of care, succeed under the model, and, and, and qualify for your bonus. And FQHCs, I mean, that to me is just part of their DNA, and it's kind of what they've always done. So, you know, the findings aren't all that surprising, and I don't think we're going to see much of an evolution in sort of those results, despite the broad acknowledgement that social determinants are incredibly important in influencing outcomes until payment models start to change and they start to impact more providers and more community type providers. All right. Well, so that's uh, surprising, but not surprising at the same time. Uh, sort of sounds like, but uh, another issue we wanted to cover really quick today was uh, about CMS's final rule this week, delineating a methodology for implementing the Affordable Care Act's cuts to Medicaid disproportionate share hospital allotments. These, of course, are slated to begin in FY20. The House of Representatives last week approved a continuing resolution that would delay through November 21st the $4 billion 
cut in Medicaid dish allotments that were slated to begin October 1st. The Senate, of course, is expected to also take up that same bill. So what should finance folks know about that quickly moving dish development? Yeah, and Rich, you hit the nail on the head that this is definitely a fast moving issue that really hasn't been getting a lot of coverage. And I think most people had broadly assumed that the the cuts on this will get sort of kicked down the road or delayed. What's sort of interesting slash concerning is that, you know, my understanding of the rationale for including this in the continuing resolution for the government was one, it just needed a vehicle to move on. And two, there has been some talk on the Hill that senators and congressmen in low dish states were interested instead of maybe kicking the can down the hill and instead, you know, delaying the cuts, reducing the cuts, but also thinking about ways to reallocate the way the dish dollars flow so that states that are currently low dish states maybe get more of those funds. So to me, it becomes a question of if you're a state like Iowa and the projected cuts somewhere around two or three million, which is about 6% of your Medicaid dish pool, is your congressional delegation and are your senators willing to let that go into effect if, say, states that congressmen and senators from states that get significant dish dollars aren't willing to give you a little piece of the action given that they have much more to lose than than certainly you do as a low dish state? We'll definitely... Keep in touch with you on on those developments, and thank you for for all those insights today, Chad, and thanks for joining us uh, on our Beyond the News segment. Yeah, Rich, my pleasure. Always good to chat with you, and obviously never a dull moment. All right. Please keep up with the latest news developments in healthcare finance policy and practice by checking out our daily news site at hfma.org forward slash news. Wouldn't it be great to provide your staff with unlimited access to HFMA's library of online education? How about HFMA's accredited certification programs, market-leading white papers, in-depth research reports, and more? Introducing Enterprise Solutions, a group membership program designed to provide your organization's employees with cost-effective tools and resources that increase staff engagement and optimize organizational results. Get your organization engaged with Enterprise. For more information and to watch an introductory video, visit hfma.org forward slash enterprise. Whenever I talk with people in the industry about driving improvements, one word comes up over and over, innovation. At HFMA's annual conference in June, Marcus Whitney, founder and CEO of Health Further, gave a keynote on the importance of true innovation in healthcare. Afterward, I sat down with him to hear about taking the first step. I think all these things start with self-awareness, and I think self-awareness is how you develop the best narrative because it's how you take the time to really assess all of the different assets that would go into your narrative, right? So a narrative needs heroes, but it also needs villains. It needs very high stakes. It needs obstacles. It needs, you know, near-death experiences, right? And so you've got to do the self-awareness process to kind of see 
what all those different pieces are of your narrative, right? Go back to the founding of your organization. Go to, go back into all the different things that you've done. People forget the things that they've done or they forget the things that their organizations have done. And then they can't, when you forget it, you can't leverage it. But when you go back and you remember it, you can then put it into your narrative and people go, oh, I didn't know that we were actually innovative. I didn't know that we actually had this history of, you know, meeting challenges and, you know, being creative. I didn't know that, right? So bring that back to the forefront. Uh, and also, you know, be honest about what your strengths and your weaknesses are, right? I mean, and when you when you do a great assessment of your strengths and weaknesses, you say, okay, we have great opportunities around our strengths and around our weaknesses. That's opportunities as well. Those are opportunities for us to find great partners, right? Where where we agree on the values and we agree on the vision of where we see the world going, but it's not our strength, and we need somebody to help us in those areas, right? So I, I think self awareness and 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 self assessment is is always where to start. And then I think a real expectation that narrative is work. Narrative takes time to put together. It's not just something you work on over a weekend. It can easily take you 90 or 180 days to come up with a great narrative because it, it takes iterations and editing and test runs and all that kind of stuff. And, and setting realistic timetables for all this kind of stuff, right? You know, you want to set expectations for everybody about how long everything is going to take. I think those are the first steps. These are big. It is a big strategic initiative to decide to innovate for real, not like as a press release thing, but to decide to do it for real. That's a big, big strategic initiative. It's going to require altering, if you haven't already done it, altering the, the pillars of your organization, altering the, the strategic imperatives that everyone is, is looking at when they think, am I doing a good job on a day-to-day -day basis? If innovation is not in there, no one will ever rate it. No one will ever, will ever value it. So those things don't happen in a week or two weeks. It could easily take you a year just to get that part going, right? You know, but, but when you get that going, you can build momentum to do the other more fun things. Whitney said many organizations operate from a position of fear when it comes to innovation and that it's important to understand the threats to their livelihood and be prepared to take risks that can move the organization forward because inaction brings its own risk. It's always about framing up the risk. So when you say they're afraid of risk, well, are they afraid of going out of business at the threat of disruption? Do they understand that that is a risk too, right? Do they understand that inaction is potentially really, really dangerous? So th th this is the point, right? You know what I mean? If no one is, is, is making that point, then you're not helping them to understand what's at stake with their current behaviors or their current point of view. So, so that's, that's the, that's the job, right? That's the job of the narrative is to, is to offer a different understanding of risk than, than the current status quo understanding of, of risk. Leaders like CFOs have a great deal of power and responsibility when it comes to change, but Whitney says they aren't the only ones. What about the people who are not the CFO, the managers, the staff, what is their role in all this? Yeah, so the, the, their role is to speak truth to power, right? You know, their 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 role is to, uh, you know, not not speak emotionally, but not hold their tongue. You know, look, managing up is a skill, right? But communicating and educating, everybody can play a role in that. Everybody can play the role of the guide uh, as long as they understand that's their job. You don't have to be in a senior role to do that. I and I, I often think those without responsibility have the best opportunity to play that guide role and, and influence. Uh, but you have to be educated. You know what I mean? You have to be able to make real multidimensional uh, stories come to life, right? You need a part that's logical. You need a part that's emotional. You need a part that's ethical, right? And you need to figure out how to weave all that stuff together. Uh, and then you have to be persuasive, right? That, that, that is the game we're playing right now. We are playing a game of persuasion. 
we are not lacking the resources to, to be innovative. That's just simply not true. We are lacking the will. We're lacking the courage. And this is a game of persuasion and it's a game of narrative and that's it, right? So everyone is playing that game. Everyone's playing that game. And you just got to figure out from your position, what's your role and how can you play that game and be most effective? I'm Mike Allen. I'm the 2019-2020 HFMA National Chair. My chair's theme for this year is Dare You to Move. Dare You to Move is about doing hard and challenging things, pushing our self-defined limits, and making ourselves uncomfortable to get better. Today on the podcast, I am joined by G. Shaw, Vice President of API and Marketplaces for Change Healthcare. Welcome to the podcast, G. Thanks, Mike. Great to be here. My first question for you is, how does Change Healthcare embody the dare you to move mindset? One of the core tenets that we have in our company is how do we find new and better ways to solve the problems that we have in healthcare today? And one of the things that we've done is take an approach to think about how we can create value more quickly and how can we bring that value more quickly to market in increments that allow our users to enable efficiencies within their workflows and ultimately to drive innovation. In that sense, we're thinking about how can we do this better? How can we do this faster? And how can we break down the barriers that exist in the ecosystem today that prevent us, for example, from connecting data together, from getting better patient information, from putting in new technologies like AI onto our operational workflow processes? How do we do that in a way that is easy to attain it's easy to implement, ultimately easier to get to value. It's important to note, this is not a new conversation. And as we talk more, we'll talk about things like APIs, and everyone talks about APIs. But this is not that typical conversation. This is a different way of thinking about how to ultimately deliver value to the marketplace and enable the innovation necessary to, as you pointed out, dare the rest of this industry to move to a place where we can address the problems that we see, achieve better operational workflows, and ultimately deliver better patient care. So tell me about APIs. It's in the title of your job. Now, I'm a chief financial officer and, you know, the term API I've heard and used as an acronym for many things, but I, I honestly didn't really know what it was until, until I looked it up and I see the term application programming interfaces. So tell us about application programming interfaces or APIs. Traditionally, people think about APIs as a pipe. And it's a pipe that connects two systems together and, and some data flows into it. That's a, a, a logical and correct way of thinking about APIs. But if we're going to evolve how we think and really gain the benefit of having them, you have to think about them as a smart pipe. And that smart pipe is not just carrying data back and forth. It's carrying data in a way that's standardized, that has security, privacy, auditability, and other capabilities built in, and is a little more capable or significantly more capable of integrating across multiple systems. So this is not just one system pushing data to another system. It's one system pushing data transforming that data into something usable and then delivering it out to multiple places. So the Uber example is interesting because as we all know, Uber, Lyft, and similar companies are all based on the availability of APIs to connect to multiple systems and deliver what is uh, ultimately a unified user experience. You don't see the 20 or 30 individual transactions that have to happen between you, your phone, your bank, 
uh, Uber or Lyft, their routing system, et cetera, experience that says click a button here and a, and a vehicle shows up. And so that's the benefit that we can gain in healthcare is being able to take all of that complexity put an API, an elegant smart pipe API in front of that, deliver all of those experiences, data insights together and turn them into a single experience, whether that's an operating experience or a patient experience that drives for the outcome that we want to get to. So let me ask you a two-part question, G. As you think about the industry's problems, what do you see those as, or what does Change Healthcare see those as? And How do you go about identifying those as a company to turn those into products and services? Well, it really starts first by taking a look at the user. So I'm going to answer the second question first, and I'll come back to the first. When we think about how do we solve a problem, it's typically from the inside out, right? We have some capabilities, we have some workflows, we need to find a way to make them better. And so we go create a solution for it. And this is not unique to to change healthcare. This is just how traditional product solutioning gets done. But the way that we're thinking about it is now a little bit different. We're going from the outside in. We're starting with the end user. And in some cases, we're starting with the end user's user. So that could be the patient coming in to make a payment at a hospital or at a health system's billing department. Well, Change Healthcare's customer is that hospital and that billing department, but we are ultimately serving that patient. So what we do is take an approach from the outside in that says, what are the needs of that patient? How are the needs of that patient addressed by the hospital and the billing department? And what capabilities do our products and services need to embody to allow that hospital and billing department to serve the needs of that patient? I hope you can see that it's a little bit of a different thought process. And by engaging in that thought process that way, we get two benefits. One, we're creating solutions that are actually solving the problems in the most efficient way possible. But more importantly, we're able to find ways to create value in small increments, not necessarily a full solution for every single problem that lives in the workflow that I may have just described, but solutions for individual parts of inefficiencies in that workflow that allow you to then stack solutions together and ultimately get to that gigantic solution. And where do we see the problems? Where I think they're the problems that we all see. There's inefficiency in the system at every step. There's the inability to properly identify patients. There's getting good information into the system to submit a claim. That's making sure that the claim that you submitted was actually complete. It's ensuring that payments can be completed on time, that prepayments can be requested where possible. It's ensuring that reimbursements get done on time. Every step of that process requires good information, it requires good processing time, and it can benefit from having things like artificial intelligence put on top of it. And so we're thinking about how do we start at the end with that end user and build all of these points of value in, engage a thought process that puts those innovations on top of it and allows you to build efficiency and drive innovation at every step at the smallest increment of value. The value to the customer is is what you start with, and that's um, obviously a great place to start if you want to solve a real problem, because that's that's where we're all trying to live. Seeking a promotion? Motivation for your team? HFMA online education and certification programs may be the answer. Discuss your objectives with a professional development specialist today by emailing careerservices at hfma.org or learn more at hfma.org slash promote yourself.
While the overall patient experience is almost always measured as part of quality metrics, in this age of healthcare consumerism, there is another critical metric that needs to be measured and understood the patient financial experience. For today's Fast Five, our sponsor, CareCredit, provides five ways healthcare organizations can measure the patient financial experience. Address financing options throughout the process. Consider financing options at all stages of the patient journey, including initial research, exploration, and the actual appointment, not just when you bill. At the initial research stage, review how often prospective patients are visiting your web pages containing information on costs, payments, insurance, or financing options. During initial contact and appointment scheduling, explore call length, cancellations, and prepayment rates. In the financial discussion stage, measure payment amounts, payment methods, and use of financing options. The billing process generates ample metrics including time to collect, value of AR, and accounts past due, sent to collections, or written off. These tips come to you from consumer health information strategist and patient engagement specialist Jan Oldenburg and CareCredit, provider of patient financing for out-of-pocket health and wellness costs. To learn more, register for Jan's upcoming HFMA webinar, Measuring the Patient Financial Experience, by visiting hfma.org events and search live webinars. CareCredit is a proven payment solution for your patients' rising out-of-pocket health care costs. The CareCredit Healthcare Credit Card helps patients get care today and pay over time, subject to credit approval. When you accept CareCredit, your healthcare organization or practice gets paid in two business days, helping to save time, increase cash flow, and reduce AR. Voices in Healthcare Finance is produced by the Healthcare Financial Management Association and written and hosted by me, Erica Grotto. Beyond the News is produced by Rich Daly and Chad Mulvaney. Sound editing is by Linda Chandler. Brad Dennison is our Director of Content Strategy. Our President and CEO is Joe Pfeiffer. And I encourage you to listen to the latest episode of his podcast, Cup of Joe, featuring Ken Kaufman from Kaufman Hall. Big thanks to our sponsors this week, Change Healthcare and Care Credit. Please look for us on social media. We are at HFMAORG on Twitter, and we're also on Facebook and LinkedIn. And as always, if you have thoughts about our podcast or ideas for future episodes, you can reach our team at podcast at HFMA.org.